Hello, I'm David Mooney. And I'm Sam Lee. And this is Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. Each week, me and Sam and some special guests will be looking at all of the main talking points from the last seven days at the Etihad and we'll be bringing you the very latest big-name interviews, breaking news and reaction to the big matches. This week, City dropped points for the eighth time this season after a 2 all draw with Crystal Palace, so why are they so hit and miss? The defence is being questioned yet again and it's looked far from reliable. It's now just one clean sheet in nine games. And Guardiola says there won't be any transfers this January, but should he change his mind and use the second half of the season to bed in some new arrivals ready for next year. This weekend was another good example of how there have been two completely different Manchester Cities this season. After some excellent displays in big wins against Manchester United and Aston Villa, where Pep Guardiola's side looked back to their absolute best, they put in a below-par and frustrating performance in a 2 all draw against Crystal Palace. Not for the first time this year, it has felt like two steps forward and one step back. So, was it tactics? Was it the team selection? Was it complacency? What is it that's made City so Jekyll and Hyde this season? Sam, can you uh, can you answer oh, that? Well, um... There's there's obviously been a lot. There's obviously been a lot. The last, in fact, it was a very similar game um, when City drew two two at Newcastle. After that, I did a big piece on what's going on at City, and there's so many different factors. You know, we've talked about it now. Any City fans listening to this will be familiar with those. But you know, some of the some of the transfer problems in the summer having a bit of a knock on at centre back. You know, going into the stage where if anything happened to Laporte, it would be worst case scenario. And that's Lo exactly and behold, happened. worst yeah. case scenario happens exactly. Um, you know the dressing room; they've been annoyed, really annoyed by VAR decisions. Which you know, fans of other clubs might be listening to this and laughing and going, "Put up with it." And yeah, maybe there's you know some some merit to that. But they've been affected by that. They were affected by the Bernardo Silva ban for the whole you know the the tweet to Benjamin Mendy, which we're not going to go into now. <laughs> it's uh, a whole podcast in itself, though. I think. Yeah, one that I won't be on. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so so there's that. But I, I do think, and the other thing is, as Gundogan admitted in Zagreb. You know, I think just the the hunger might have dropped a bit. You know, completely naturally after you seems, after you win a lot. That seems a bit odd, though, given that last season it didn't. You like after a hundred points and and the Centurions season, you would expect that if the hunger was going to drop, it would be the season after. Quite possibly, yeah. Um, although it's maybe you, you you kind of combine the the mental fatigue of it and you know the demands of having to to go again with the physical fatigue. Um, I know that's been the case. You know, for Bernardo Silva. You know the opinion within City has last season kind of caught up with him. Mares as well, um, especially earlier in the season, because he, and he had an even longer season than Bernardo. You know he won the Africa Cup of Nations two weeks before the Community Shield, so there was a bit <laughs> of that element to it as well, um, where the that side of it um, can kind of it can snowball a bit. And then the other thing is, in terms of I know a lot of people talk about a lack of leaders. I don't necessarily believe this, but in terms of voices around the dressing room, obviously they lost company. Dalf, by all accounts, was a big one as was well. A big voice. So yeah, it? so if you're kind of not slacking off, but just to keep everyone on their toes, you need these characters, and they lost two big ones. So like, like I say, there's been so many different aspects of why City aren't quite at that level this season. But on the other hand, they're not a disaster. You know, well, this is it. It's a weird kind of. It is a weird season because yeah. Liverpool. You have to. You have to give credit to Liverpool and and what they've done this season. You can't get. You can't get away from that. They've dropped two points yeah, to this stage. It's outrageous. And by any other metric, City are having an, an all right season. They they they're behind where they were yeah. in the previous. They've fallen two behind seasons. their own standards, yeah. and they've fallen behind Liverpool's. And Liverpool's are ridiculous this season. 
And as Guardiola pointed out, so you know, Guardiola can get things wrong when he says he, he can get things wrong in terms of what he's saying, you know, years wrong or people or ages or whatever. But he pointed out on Friday, he went, look, other champions who have, you know, they've they've won the league next season that where they finished twelfth, tenth, fifth, and he was right. And like, he's obviously he's obviously looked at that. Whether it's to tell he's the players about it a lot, yeah, right? exactly, yeah. or whether it's to tell the players, or whether it's just to tell us in the media, he's thought about that. But he's right, you know, City haven't been a disaster. They haven't been a shambles. We're not talking about you know, even when I had to write those articles, oh, what's going wrong? Earlier in the season, I had to do one after they lost at home to Wolves. Did one after that uh, Newcastle game. They're heavily caveated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it's like, well, they're not getting relegated. You know, they're not mid-table. They're not really, really struggling. They're miles behind Liverpool. But, you know, if Liverpool were having a normal season or even like a season compared to how they had last year, City would still be behind. It would still not be good enough. But, you know, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't look as, as mental as it does now. But you can't get away from a fact, from the fact that they are Jekyll and Hyde this season. Yeah. They've put in some great performances in, in recent weeks, and then that happens against Palace. And it's it's not. If it was a one-off, you'd go, "Well, it's it's just a it's just a one-off in in a in a great season as yeah. it had been in the previous two years." But it's a common theme this season now. Yeah. So this is when we kind of get into it's a bit of a recap of the the whole season, or at least just the games where they've not done particularly well. But again, it's it's that kind of snowballing of factors, and I don't want to bore people too much. But if you think of the Norwich game. The first week that was after Laporte got injured, um, and I think you know, one of the one of the big themes this season is you know Guardiola's made a couple of mistakes tactically. I think um, using Gundogan, you know, the two number eights, City's whole success, the number eights stay high up the pitch. They combine with the wingers, they combine with the fullbacks, they combine with the strikers. Triangles, passes in behind, cross overloads the ball, on either side, yeah. particularly on the left, but also on the right. And you know, De Bruyne gets into those crossing positions, all that kind of stuff. Stop that against Norwich. Uh, he rested De Bruyne, which people give him stick for. But, you know, his logic before the game, he gave an interview to Sky. And he said, it was after the international break. And he said, look, he's played twice for Belgium. And he said, oh, we've seen, was it Modric and other players who have gone away with their national teams and then been injured? And he goes, and after what De Bruyne had last season, because this was back in September. After what De Bruyne had last season, injury-wise, we didn't want to risk him. So I'm, I'm saying fair enough. Fine, it didn't work on the day. But fair enough, the logic was there. He didn't just think, oh, this will be easy. So he had Gundogan playing a bit deeper, and then you just you're messing up the whole patterns there. You're not you haven't got the same attacking threat. You've kind of got Gundogan not either being he's he's not a number eight, he's not a number six in that. You know he he's kind of caught between two stools. That kind of affected things. The pressing, which is something that a lot of fans have noticed this season, the pressing levels. Obviously they were kind of pressing that four four two kind of thing. David Silva was pushed further up, um, but as was reported earlier in the season, obviously. You know, David Silva, there's been a bit of concern about the energy left in him. That was towards the end of last season. This season has not been that different. Guardiola, I asked him about the pressing a few weeks ago, and he was, oh, no, no, it's fine, you know. But after the Leicester game, he said, today we press really well. And he goes, sometimes, we, point home, sometimes yeah. we've been a bit passive. And I was like, yeah, I knew it. Like, but, but all the fans, obviously, like, I knew it. Like, I knew that it could have been that. And when I spoke to Eric Garcia last week, I asked him about, you know, his thoughts on the season. It didn't go in the article, but he said... Um, We've been working on the pressing as well. You know, we've been trying to improve that and get that back. So that's ov- that's obviously a part of it. And then, yeah, the Norwich thing, you know, mistakes conceded from the corner, the Ottomendi mistake, you that, know, the goal that, kick thing was yeah, yeah, exactly. So that kind of thing. Wolves at home, same thing. Guardiola trying Gundogan. He was he was up there sometimes, but not quite. You know, De Bruyne was injured for that. So so you know, when they've missed De Bruyne, you know, sometimes you know they can go and beat a team eight nil. 
to Bruyne does make that much of a difference. You know, last season it didn't matter so much when he was injured because everything was working brilliantly, basically. So he could slot in another fantastic midfielder in Bernardo Silva, and it doesn't matter so much. But when things aren't working, and Guardiola's thinking, I need to protect this defence because I'm not really sure about Stones and Otamendi, which, let's be honest, that is how he feels about them. He hasn't played them again since, in a in a meaningful game at least, since that Norwich game. And as soon as that happened, he went, right, Fernandinho it is then. Yeah. So he's been trying to he's been trying to protect that midfield all season, and that has you know Mares did nothing against Wolves at home but because he, he was out there on his right. You know he was out there on the right hand side on his own. Walker has had to stay very deep because he's got the pace to cover counter attacks because Guardiola's worried about them. He's got Gundogan playing deeper because he you know he was trying to give more protection, but he got and he got a problem with oppression as well there. And I know we're talking about the Wolves game, but you could take this for a lot of the games. The intensity had dropped a little bit from the front for whatever reason. Still don't know. Hopefully, find out at some point soon, even if it's next season, if Guardiola finally admits it. I'd love to know it one day. Um, and then you've got the problems in the midfield where Guardiola going, okay, I'm not sure about the defence. And then, you know, he's tried to stop the defence being exposed, but they have been exposed and they're not good enough individually, which kind of brings us back to Saturday to but deal he, with those individual moments. But then he, he found a solution in that kind of wing-backs, three-at-the-back system that he, that yes. he developed. And well, then yeah. it just, on Saturday, just wasn't there. Why, well, why did he switch? Did he, did he, do you know why he switched back? I, I, again, I don't know. I don't know. I, I did ask after the game. And normally, if you if you question Pep's tactics, the people who know Pep, they'll be very kind of defensive. Or, you know, <laughs> they'll be like, oh, here's the reason. It's like, oh, fantastic. That's, that's what I was open to, to hear. Because, you know, I want to understand. I want to know what's going on. You know, If I'm going to be writing you know, two or three in-depth articles a week, you want to be able to tell people what's going on at City. You know, you want there to be information there. You want to have tell the thread of the season. And this is a very interesting season. Well, well, let's, I don't know. well let's have a listen to what he said. You asked him about the uh, about the switch back yeah. to 4-3-3. This is what he said. Today we play quite similar. We're playing against Aston Villa. So attack uh, with Mendy in the, in the left and put a lot of players in the middle. So we didn't concede too much in, in terms of opportunities. And the first, I think we struggled... We struggled a little bit the first 10, 15 minutes, the second half, 10 minutes would say, like we are not, we're more like, we want to come back, we come back without thinking too much what we have to do. When Gabri was inside, we were more, you know, we were more chances there, we were more people in, in the box and help us, you know, for that is the Gabi and the second goal. Um, but it was quite similar. We had to, everybody involved, the last game, Rice didn't play today, put it inside, so I think we did everything. So. Defense so deep, we knew it, and we attack and crosses and corners and put the ball inside in the last moments and decisions and they didn't do much, but they 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 went to you know one point. So Sam, did he gain anything from it? Did he did he learn anything about his team that in that four three three that he wouldn't have already known? Well, possibly, but this is the difficult thing from a, a kind of journalist point of view. Like there was about a minute of audio there, and I'm not sure what his point was, but I don't know better than Guardiola, so I made a right hash of the question his first answer in the interest of fairness was sorry I didn't understand and I went yeah well, fair enough because see I made you sound good then but you've yeah, just, know, you've but just decided got, not but to but the thing is I'm sitting there thinking right well I've got an idea about what how this game's gone and I think you might have made a mistake there Pep but who am I to tell Pep Guardiola you know what he should have done so I'm kind of couching it I asked him on the Friday as well before the game I went things have gone well recently what's that down to what have you changed we kind of kind of asked some players that in the mix zone over the over the last four or five weeks as well basically since the Manchester derby it seemed to have got to that point and Guardiola thought okay this 4-3-3 isn't working you know we're too ponderous we're still being counter-attacked on we need to change it up and obviously he did it was you know what he said on Friday was 
he was doing the tactics down basically he was like it's not really about tactics he goes you can talk about numbers or whatever but at the end of the day it's the players who make the difference they're the tactics but I mean, I'm not really sure about that because at Arsenal you basically had two permanent holding midfielders in front of the defence so you weren't asking Gundogan to get up and get back and do two things at once and be in neither he was able to do what, he, what he's good at and stay there and there was a bit more protection it looked better did it against Leicester. The pressing was back as well. And then, obviously, three at the back came in against Sheffield United at half-time. And then, still played two holding midfielders against United. And, you know, tactical people have said that's probably their most defensive performance of the season. But, obviously, it looked so good and it was carried out so so brilliantly in, in attack. Everyone was kind of marvelling at that. And then, yes, yeah, Guardiola's point, fair enough, was he went back to the 4-3-3 at Villa. But my follow-up question, which there's no point playing because he kind of misunderstood... My question, my question was, okay, play Aston Villa away. And yeah, I mean, you can't really pick and choose, go, oh, well, why do you do it then? But Aston Villa away is a, is a different game to Crystal Palace at home. You know what you're going to get from Crystal Palace at home. And he does definitely know because, you know, Palace won there last season. He knows they're going to defend very deeply. He knows they're going to have problems. He knows they've had problems breaking down a deep defence this season. It was a bit of a mystery why. And his answer to that question was he thought I was asking about the difference between playing Crystal Palace last, at home and away. Season, yeah. Home, oh, Palace yeah, home, and, home and away. So he mentioned Salhurst Park and that kind of thing. So I don't know why he's gone back to it, but the interesting thing is Sheffield United next. It was at Sheffield United where he kind of played four three three in the first half, didn't he? Yeah, I was gonna, I was going to say, does he does he stick with it? But he changed it at half time because he wasn't breaking them down. And then you know we had the full backs going wide, three at the back, two in midfield. The influential passes were deeper. You know they were getting they were getting the balls into into more spaces. The the wing backs were were looking much more comfortable. You know the the front three were very narrow, but they looked good. Um, and you're thinking, well, it's Sheffield United next. It, surely he's going to have to. He's going to have to do that again. Will, I was going to say, will he stick with the four-three-three again? Because he's got, he switched back surely to it not. so quickly. Surely not. Surely not. Because he must have. Surely he was thinking before the Palace came. Okay, maybe this won't work, but I think it will. And now it hasn't. He's gone. Okay, but on the other side of it again. <laughs> but same as Newcastle again. It really they is roll, it roll a dice. But they it? didn't. But they didn't concede many chances. Like. Palace didn't batter them. It wasn't like a Man United situation where they had seven or eight counter-attacks in the first half. Palace didn't do anything. It was just mistakes. And what can you do about that? Like, nothing, really. Like, all you can do is, you know, for the for the second goal, Cancelo high up the pitch and the De Bruyne lost it, which can happen. You know, that can happen. Yeah. But you know, just pushing up and he said, you know, the back four was broken up and that's on Cancelo, really. And then Stones was isolated. But then in the individual battle, he didn't do very well either. There was mistakes all over the place. You know, people are like blaming Edison as well. And Rodri and Stones went for the same header. Mistakes everywhere. So he's kind of, he is kind of right. And that's the other thing when you ask Pep a question. If they don't win and you ask him anything, he's got it in his head already that you're having a go. That you're saying, so, why did he do this? Or why did he not play him? A very kind of hindsight. He's like, well, I'm the one who's got to make the decisions here. It's easy to say afterwards. Yeah, I suppose it's the downside of, of asking him questions in the moment as well. Yeah. If you, you've not got, he's not got a couple of hours to calm down and, and cool down about it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's it was it was a, it was a it was a weird one because they didn't look particularly good, like Newcastle, but they did enough to win the game, and they were actually unlucky not to. So Sam, moving on to uh, the the second question that, that uh, I kind of posed at the start of the, of the show about the defence, I want to go in a little bit more uh, specific on on one player, and it feels about the the, the kind of a key time frame right now. 
Um, for as long as I can remember, City fans have, have always loved a scapegoat. These days, they've got to try a little harder when it comes to uh, to getting a scapegoat, given the, the, the level of quality in the squad. But when I started going to Main Road, scapegoats were ten a penny. Uh, on Saturday afternoon, it felt like the tide might have turned for John Stones after Crystal Palace's late equaliser. So is he being scapegoated, or is he genuinely not up to the quality that Pep Guardiola would have liked from him at this stage? Yeah. Um, so again, and from my point of view, and you know, the article I wrote after the game. I'm sure anyone who's followed my work for the last few years, whenever City have lost, how how many times have I made it about an individual? And I wasn't. It's not really a, this is all John Stones' fault because clearly it wasn't. We've we've kind of discussed that already. But yeah, the level of frustration with Stones um, in the crowd, a bit in the crowd from Pep, a hundred percent. Now I was watching. You, Pep. T- you tweeted Pep was was in his ear all game. Yeah, um, and I, I was just I was just making notes because basically I had a couple of ideas in mind for what I was going to write and. One of them was about Riyad Mahrez who didn't play. And one of them was, I thought, it's not going to happen anyway, but if they go three at the back, I've got something I can do about that. If not, we'll have to see. I thought maybe Gabriel Jesus didn't play either. Um, I was going to do something on him, and but then just the way it was going, because I was looking at Pep all the way through the game, and in the last half an hour, when it was, you know, really, come on, so you need an equaliser here, he was really agitated. So I thought, this this could be interesting. So yeah, I noticed a lot about what he was doing, and a lot of it was was towards Stones and then yeah when I did the Q&A's on the Athletic afterwards and Twitter as well a lot of a hell of a lot, lot of Stones and questions. fine you know that's it's after the game as well so that is when you, you're at your most frustrated and you might wake up the next day and think okay fine so there was a lot of frustration about Stones there and it was worth writing about I think but also because like you mentioned three and a half seasons in now in none of the three seasons full seasons he's had so far has he finished the season you know, there's always been injury problems, but then it's been, where's Stones? And a couple of times Guardiola's been, oh, well, Otamendi and company are playing better, or Laporte and company are playing better. And it's like, well, okay, they are, but at what point is Stones going to be in that position where he goes, no, forget them. I would I'm I would playing. like to say in his defence. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot the, to be said in his defence. I was going to say, on the, on the flip side, he started seasons very well. Mm. You think of that, think of that um, the, the again, the Centurions season, 17-18, it was it, it, he. He was the standout performer in the in the back four at that stage of of that season. He yeah. was playing really well. He was developing quite well. And it feels like in the time that's gone on since then, is it is it injuries? Is it is it just a loss of form? Is his head not in the right place? What what can you put it down to? Yeah, again, I think it's a lot. A lot of those things. Um, yeah, even that that season when they won the hundred points, because I remember speaking to people around it then for just a kind of, well, what happens next? Where does City go from here kind of thing? And there was, oh, you know, there's, there's people who can improve. They need Kyle Walker and Otamendi to be better in the big moments. You know, I think they use a lot of Champions League games against Liverpool as an example. They're like, we want um, more from from Jesus uh, in terms of being a bit more consistent and more from Stones in terms of being consistent. So it's something they've had their eye on. But now this was two years ago. And now it's like, this is the problem. Uh, he's 25 years old. This is his fourth season at City. He has, and that's the thing, like, I'm not kind of just making the positives a negative, but it does feel like that's the situation we're in at the minute where all those positives you, you mentioned, you know, he is really good. And at the start of that season, he looked fantastic. And he does look great. And he does look commanding. And he does have all the tools to be a perfect, you know, Guardiola player when things are going well. But, he he's kind of very harsh on himself. Does he not cope under pressure? I don't. I don't think so. Or does he put himself under pressure? Well, I think obviously, look on the scale of one to ten of blokes in the street, does he cope with pressure? Yes, because he wouldn't be able to well, go. Yeah. Out. He's fantastic. But, <laughs> he's better than you but are. But in I terms of, but in terms of like elite mentality and where they want him to be, you know, is he? The phrase they've used when I wrote that piece back in 
August about Stones and it being a crucial season is as a and Guardiola's actually said it in public about something else. But he goes, when you make a mistake as a defender, or not even if you make a mistake, but it's someone else's or whatever, and it's a bad moment, you just drink your poison and move on. You just take it and forget it. And Laporte does that. Like Laporte, he made those two mistakes against Tottenham in the Champions League. I can't remember. Did he start the next game um, against Spurs or was he rested? No, what I think, they were going to rest him. But then they thought, if we, if we rest him now, it looks, it like, looks like we've dropped him. Or he might think we've dropped him or whatever. It, yeah. So they played him. But he carried on fine. He's been fine. And Laporte is like the example there, and there's a lot of others. You know, that's where they want him to be. But Stones kind of dwells on it a bit, and that was the intro, I think, to the piece I wrote in August. He knows when he's made a mistake. You know, you don't need to tell him. He he kind of takes it personally. He can dwell on it a bit because he's kind of demands so much from himself. You know, he, he kind of it's it's harder to move on from those setbacks. And that was that was probably the key issue heading into this season that the coaching staff wanted him to change as well as, you know, just play consistently. But as we've seen again, Monday, press conference, he's injured again now. You know, this was his chance. Both he and Otamendi, who would have left in the summer if he'd got a good enough offer from another club, both he and Otamendi have had very good opportunities this year in Laporte's absence to play. And if I hadn't gone so badly at Norwich, they might have played together as a partnership, but straight away Guardiola was like, right, we're not having this. So at least play next to Fernandinho. But neither has managed to, to play gra- himself to grab in. the ball by the horns yeah, and neither has take looked- the chance. Exactly. Neither has looked that commanding. Uh, and now Stone is injured again. And Laporte's going to be back in like a week, 10 days, two weeks, tops. And then who's, who's going to partner him then? Fernandinho will. And then who's going to be third choice? Well, Otamendi at the moment. So, does, so yeah, that that's the issue for Stones. Fourth, he, fourth season. Where, what happens next? Does he have a long-term future? It's, it's tricky, this, because... Well, the forms of players I remember going into the season a couple of years ago thinking big season for Sterling this like if this doesn't go well it could be a problem and that was the that was the 17-18 season where he was fantastic and he's not not in great form at the minute but you know he's barely looked but back but in the last few weeks exactly been, yeah. no one's talking about oh maybe Spurs were buying for 40 million no one's talking about that now for Sterling um, and then, yeah that's the thing with Stones it can easily turn around but there isn't any sign of that at the moment and look maybe the thing is when Laporte comes back their problems aren't over because the defence is still going to be getting exposed. It's just going to be Laporte there. So maybe he puts out more fires. But, you know, the root, you know, that's not the root of the issue. The root of the issue is stop the teams attacking. They'll press better. I don't know. Rodri improves a bit more. Gundogan improves a bit more. And they just have those games where they don't let people pass them, which Gundogan had at the weekend as well. You know, there were a couple of missed tackles or interceptions where you think, oh, Fernandinho would have had that and City will be attacking now. Instead, you're running back towards your own goal. So those kind of things need to change. If they do, Stones could look good. He, last next season might be a saving grace but I'm thinking next season might be because it's hard to sell him now well I was I because just, he's homegrown I was going to come to this because but, but is that all is standing in the way between him and leaving obviously Artemendi would go but do they sell two and buy two and then they've got two new guys Laporte Fernandinho and Garcia is that enough maybe it is but the two new guys need to bed in straight away and as we saw, you know, they, they planned on signing Otamendi anyway, bringing in Maguire. Plans don't always work out how you want. So I think it's still pretty likely that Stones stays next season. But then, and if, if that is the case, if that is the case, and, you know, I think there might be a question around it. If that is the case, and City, you know, they're pressing better, better midfield, more protection on the defence, he's going to look much better. And then, you know, that might be the reprieve he needs. 
But there is a bit, I think there might be a bit of a question about it this summer. Is it unfair to call him, maybe in that sense, a fair-weather defender? When things are going well, he defends well. Mean. And when things are going badly, he's not really there to be to, to help the team. I think or is that, I think is that, that unfair? No, it feels unfair. But I think this season, I think this season is fair. Because, um, you know, were people singing his name again at Villa the other week? It's like, he didn't have a lot to do. Like, And I'm not one of these people who go, oh, you know, City's defenders. Because I remember Otamendi getting a lot of praise in seventeen eighteen around the December, and someone asked in the press. Very course, much the outlier that though, now, isn't yeah, it? That season? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they were both a great partnership, weren't they? But people, I remember someone in the press box going, "Oh, well, he hasn't got to defend." It's like, but, and somebody said that in the comments of the Stones article today. Oh, they didn't have to defend back then, which isn't true. Like, if if you mess up, then you've got more defending to do. But if you do your job properly and you win a header or you win a tackle or you you step in and make an interception or you make a good pass, you're going to be defending less. The stuff they had to do was very good, but. So they they have done it. They have got it in them. But yeah, I mean, maybe the season that increased you know scrutiny doesn't help, and then it's just it's all kind of snowballed a bit. But it yeah, it does feel unfair. But I think this season that is the evidence, isn't it? When he's when he's had a lot to do, he hasn't been able to do it. Like he was very bad against Palace. Is it fair to say he's very bad as a footballer? No, but he was very bad against Palace, and it is interesting now we are having this conversation because yeah, fourth season. But you know, and people are saying I don't necessarily agree with it. I think there's a lot of improvement he's done that we're not going to appreciate. He's obviously grown as a footballer since he left Everton. But the common view, which again I don't agree with, the common view is he hasn't improved as a footballer in four years, and that's why we're having this conversation now because I think he has improved, but not as much as Guardiola and the staff want, and they knew that in the summer. And you couldn't say, oh well, he's proved them wrong since. Yeah, I, I always think as well. I always wonder how much he gets blamed for things that are not necessarily his fault when he's in the team. There's there's a number of times where, I mean, the big narrative around the the, the goal from uh, from Port Vale uh, was, yeah. was, was was you know Pope against Stones, and Stones was nowhere near any of the play, and it was it still felt like it was a pile on on John Stones for mm. something he was, he hadn't done, and there gets to a point where. It's almost like your reputation precedes you. You yeah, you, you have you have this problem, and and while Stones is in the defence, the defence is not going to be great. And yet, you know, it could be Walker on one side makes an error, or it could be yeah, Cancelo made an error, and and that's what leads to the goal. And even though just because John Stones is there, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's that there's a, a huge problem with him in that defence. But is it maybe the effect he's having on the on the players around him? I don't know. So there's a, I think there's there's a, a kind of a, a lot to discuss around it. Yeah, I suppose another one is, you know, I wrote that article about um, Pep, you know, being frustrated. He was Obviously, he was frustrated with everyone. You know, I mentioned in, in the first half, Gundogan got it. Mendy actually got a thumbs up, which I can't remember seeing in a long time. Mendy actually got a thumbs up. Um, but yeah, he was frustrated with a lot of people, but Stones bore the brunt of it. And I mentioned that at half time um, to a colleague at Sky, and he went, "Do you think? Do you think you know Pep's style helps?" And I went, "I thought, what do you mean?" I was like, "In terms of his playing style, yeah, you know, if you're on the front foot, then yeah, of course he does." But he went, "No, in terms of criticising him all the time or being onto him." And somebody mentioned that in the in the comments as well, and I thought, "That's a good point." Stones probably doesn't need that, but at the end of the day, Guardiola's a boss, isn't he? Yeah. Um, quick word on Eric Garcia uh, because yeah. he's he's obviously he's, he's shone in uh, in recent weeks. He's been kind of out the team for a little bit now. Um, he yeah. he's somebody who you know will Stones be looking over his shoulder? Aim? Um, yeah, I guess so. A lot depends on. I mean, it depends on if we see Garcia again soon because when he didn't play against Port Vale, it was like oh he's probably being rested for the United game, and he didn't play. And didn't play. And he hasn't. He wasn't on the bench um, for the last two Premier League games. Um, so I'm not sure. 
Um, I think Stone Stone just got enough to focus on basically. But yeah, in terms of Garcia, a lot of people want him to see to see him play now. A lot of people are of the opinion of well, City aren't going to win the league, so get play get, play Garcia more, play Foden more. To be honest, I've because people have been saying this for ages about City since like November basically, or even before. Focus on the Champions League, which I don't think actually means anything because you know the Champions League is still six weeks away from now yeah. <laughs> or a month away from now. Um, the next game is the middle of March. And then, actually, I think if they were to get through past Madrid, the game is, I think, the first leg, maybe. Maybe it's even the second. But it's after the Liverpool game, I think. It's after City oh, play okay. Liverpool. So you're not going to play a team... Yeah. If, but, you're not going to sit the kids Well, maybe out, they should. Like, maybe, maybe that'll be the, the story at the time. Maybe it'll be, Guardiola, what are you doing playing your strongest team four days before you play Barcelona or something? I don't know. But it doesn't mean a lot, that focus on the Champions League. But I do think especially because, and this is why I think Garcia came into the team in the first place, against Sheffield United to start, obviously he came on against Wolves, it was because it was kind of like, well, it's not going to get any worse. You know? Like, yeah. But I, I think there might be a bit of logic to that. and The level, you know, the form, obviously Otamendi and Stones are much more experienced players, but their level and form doesn't really show that. And Garcia's level and form, should, you know, he's closed that gap. And it's the same kind of situation with Phil Foden and David Silva. So you are thinking, surely... And putting putting one of those in the team, two of those in the team for so City play Burnley at home before Real Madrid second leg. So you'd like to think both will play in that game because even so, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like you know, City yeah they've conceded two goals out of nothing against Crystal Palace at the weekend, but you've done that with John Stones in the team, so you might as well try Eric Garcia. And then if Eric Garcia is great for six months, then you really are thinking actually we only need to buy one centre back in the summer or. Well, no, they will have to if Ottomendi goes anyway because I think they would still be playing with fire a bit. But you're just thinking, we'll actually use this kid a lot more. And I would like to think, even if it's April, even if by that point City are definitely going to be second, Liverpool have already won the title, just just play him a bit more and just see. Just see what happens. Just wait and see. Because it's, I've I've always said, look, Foden's going to play more next season. I know it sounds like kicking the can down the road, but he is going to play more next season. But, yeah, why not play him now? Now, Sam, the, the fans have been crying out for reinforcements after injuries decimated City's defence. Uh, Pep Guardiola has been adamant for a while that there'll be no moves for players this January. He said it time and again and that it's impossible to get the quality of player that you want in January because of the Champions League. Uh, given that the title race is as good as over, as we've said already, and that City are probably in a good enough position to finish in the top three, uh, should Pep change his mind and try and add some players to the squad now to help them bed in before next season? Well, this is the thing. It's, it's not really about changing, changing his mind. Um, he wants to. City have wanted to. City have wanted to buy centre backs. Um, they were looking, you know, in November time. I was told. I spoke to a couple of colleagues after that, independently of each other, and they both said, you know, from what we've heard, City are looking for centre backs. They just, you know, there was no one around. Um, it's yeah, as Guardiola says, and as you just said then, it's very hard to find players of that quality halfway through the season. That's not. It sounds like a cliche, but it is. Look at the transfer market now. No one's buying anyone. It's as simple as that. And then it's. As again, people know, City's foreign quota of players is full. Is a problem. If they yeah. wanted, if they wanted to buy a foreign centre back now, everyone says Koulibaly. I don't know. I don't. Well, I don't know if they if they like Koulibaly or not. I don't think they'd sign Koulibaly. I think that it feels to me like too much money, and it feels like not too old, but too old for that kind of money to be spent. It doesn't feel like a City signing. Maybe they'll change. Maybe the FFP thing will mean they they can change if they if they don't get the ban from the Champions League. Um, 
but it does it doesn't feel like it for me. But yeah, even if they found him, they would have to sell somebody now, and they like they couldn't sell Otamendi in the summer, even though they wanted to. Otamendi wanted to go. Bravo, you know, Sane is most likely going to go in the summer, but Bayern aren't going to buy him now. Who, who else are you actually going to sell? Cancelo, people have been saying, but then you're just going to be short a right back. Like it, it's this is why they're not going to buy somebody in in January, and this is why it's not a case of Pep changing his mind. It, it's more it's just a case not of practical at this yeah, stage. It, it can't happen, but it would be a bit more logical to say for City to change their minds because Guardiola wants them to sign players even more than Cheeky and Ferrandu. Guardiola's like. I don't care if you don't want to spend another 10 million on Harry Maguire, get it done. Yeah. But, you know, they're making the decisions of, actually, we don't value him at that. So Guardiola's like, do it. But, yeah, it's not up to him. <laughs> it's a bit of a, bit of a nightclub situation, yeah. a one-out-one impulse. Yeah, though, exactly, yeah. exactly. Like, it, it's not up to him anyway. But um, even if it were, it's incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, what, not necessarily names, but what sorts of players should City be looking at for this stage? Oh. Well, again, people are saying Koulibaly because he's kind of more established, isn't he? You know, he's he's commanding, he's a good one-on-one defender. Although, you know, Napoli are having a bad season. You know, the whole De Laurentiis thing has kicked off and a lot of a lot of individual Napoli players are having bad seasons. Um, so, I, I, don't, I don't know if that bodes particularly well. But, yeah, I think normally City are buying 23, 24-year-olds will come in and they can mould and, they, you know, they're good on the ball. Obviously, we can take it as red. They're going to they're gonna have to be good on the ball. They're going to have to spot a pass. They're going to have to have the personality to have the ball at their feet and play. Um, so, but there's a lot of teams around Europe now who who play, you know, in a high line. They play on the ball. They're confident enough. Um, you know, there's a lot of teams in Germany and Spain in particular. I mean, Upper Meccano is somebody that keeps being mentioned and that, that kind of feels like a bit of a better profile, bit younger I think um, I don't generally have enough time to look at all the players City are linked with until I know that they're <laughs> actually linked with them so I, I couldn't I couldn't sit here and tell you you know I'm not the European football centre-back yeah, expert of course. Um, but yeah that's the kind of profile obviously it's that and, but now I'm just wondering I suppose, I suppose but now I'm just wondering if it's the age are they going to go for someone who's 23-24 and they've got to bring on you know like when they bought Sane a few years ago and Jesus are they going to be doing that now because they haven't got the, you know, Guardiola's probably not going to be here for another well, four was, or five was, years. Do they the need somebody who's ready was, to go? The number of my question was going to be, can they even plan long-term if it, next season will be Guardiola's last? Exactly. Well, they're, they're not going to be buying Van Persie's, I don't think. They're not going to be doing a, here's a farewell present, here's someone to win us the league, but after that you might have a problem. But I do wonder if they might buy someone who's 27, 28. And look, this is why the Koulibaly thing, it, it doesn't feel right to me, but maybe City will change their approach and maybe they will go for somebody like that. But yeah, maybe... Yeah, maybe it's somebody who you know who comes in and is a bit more, bit more ready, and maybe the obviously not Koulibaly. That's a bad example because Napoli won a lot, but then maybe you don't have to pay quite so much. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It, it, it is a weird one, but we know we basically know the kind of style they're going to need to be. It's just their kind of profile and how experienced they are that will. Will there be an overhaul in the summer? Well, yeah, but even when I wrote that, I wrote that after I think they won. I think City won and said this team needs an overhaul. People are like, what are you on about, blah, 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 it's disrespectful. <laughs> and then they lost to someone else and everyone was like, this team is overhaul. <laughs> but it was not even a, that's not even a, this team needs to clear the decks and start again. That's it, well, Bravo's leaving. Otamendi's probably going to leave. Uh, Fernandinho's at the end of his contract, but it looks like he might stay. David Silva's leaving. Sane's probably leaving. So that's four or five straight off the bat. That you need you gonna replacements re- for. Yeah, and they didn't get a centre-back last year that they still want anyway. It's not when they didn't get Jorginho, they still wanted a central midfield and this year they got Rodri. You know, that hasn't gone away. So there's four or five players going. There's, they want at least one centre-back anyway to come in. Left-back's a bit of a problem anyway. And like, Angelino is nothing but a short-term solution, I'm afraid. I think that's how it looks. Where's Sinchenko gone? People keep asking me this. I still don't know. I'm trying to find out. 
Um, but, you know, he's, he's disappeared off the face of the earth. If I was to say which of the three left-backs would stay next season, it would be Zinchenko, and I wouldn't be surprised if they sold Mendy and get a bit of resale value for him and just save themselves a bit of a headache. But he's looking good at the minute. And if he keeps looking good, maybe, you know, that will change things. But, yeah, so there will be an overhaul. But at the same time, you're keeping Edison in place, you're keeping Laporte in place, um, probably Carl Walker and Cancelo. They're not like... Well, Cancelo's not like a huge, crucial bit now, but, you know, he's, he's there. Um, Rodri and Gundogan will stay. David um, David Silva won't be there, but um, Bernardo Silva is still going to be there. Fantastic player. Kevin De Bruyne is still going to be there. Raheem Sterling. Now, there's a situation there where I think his agent wants him to go to Real Madrid quite soon. I don't think City would ever do that in the summer they sell Sane as well. But, you know, maybe in 18 months that might start to be an issue or at least, you know, it's something they need to deal with. But he's going to be there. Aguero's going to be there for another season, maybe another after that. I don't know. Um See, I would have said Gabriel Jesus would be there, but they're having that kind of a yeah. bit of a wobble on that. Um, so you've got, you've still got, you know, it's not an overhaul. It's not 1995 when Ferguson got rid of all these great established players and brought in kids. He's still got a great squad to work with. You just freshen it up a bit. You bring in maybe another midfielder, a winger, maybe another striker, a centre back, a left back, and all of a sudden, the source, you know, the it's source an of overhaul. transfers they've not been doing in the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, it's an overhaul, but it's not like a clear the deck situation it's kind of it's yeah it, it's a difficult one because you say oh this team needs a bit of a refresh and it sounds like oh what about these players they're all great you're keeping them you're just making sure that you know like i said earlier you got a defensive midfielder maybe and presumably rodri will improve for next season all of a sudden you've got a defensive midfielder who's more stable there's less pressure on the defense and if there is the new defender who's come in you know is sure of himself commit tackle commit the interception win the head or whatever yeah. those are the kind of players and the changes they need Now, ahead of uh, every show, Sam, uh, we want people to tweet us with uh, with questions for you uh, for the end of the show. Uh, at Sam Lee on Twitter, you can tweet me as well, at David Mooney. Um, Curtis Simpson's done that. Uh, he says, it appears that David Silva has next to nothing left, but he's still starting games. Does that reflect poorly on Foden and or Bernardo playing in the left eight, or reflect positively on Pep's rating of Silva? Considering that the league is essentially over, what's it going to take for Foden and Garcia to get some games? Yeah, these, yeah, these are the questions now. But again... You're probably going to have to get used to this if you're a first-time listener of mine on podcasts, but it's a bit of both. Um, he trusts David Silva hugely. That's why he plays. But they know, I wrote this before, they know, you know, he gets to 60 minutes and, you know, he's, his, his legs are getting a bit weary now. So, And that's actually when he came off against Palace at the weekend. There are exceptions. I think he played 90 minutes at Burnley when City looked great uh, in that 4-3-3 film. You know? <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was a much more open game anyway, different. Let's not do that again. Um, so he trusts David Silva implicitly. Bernardo Silva doesn't really play in that role because he doesn't do the same kind of things. Um, you would say he's a similar player in terms of, you know, he plays in tight areas and he can use the ball quickly. But And he's left-footed, but he doesn't do the same kind of things. He's much better kind of facing. But we think of David Silva, how he's been used with City. Kind of facing away from goal. Yeah. You know, bouncing passes off each other and playing people in behind. Bernardo is just more, much, he's more like De Bruyne. That's why he was so good last year in that right sided role when he could run forward and play passes forward. David Silva, a bit more intricate. So they're not the same kind of player. That's why Bernardo Foden. very rarely plays there. Foden, exactly the same kind of player, obviously. But then that comes back to, I think Guardiola does regard playing young players as a massive risk. And people can say that as a huge criticism of Pep. I think he I think he regards playing young players as a risk. I think he thinks they're gonna mess up here and my best laid plans, you know, they're gonna be running back towards their own goal, there's gonna be a counter attack. I, I do think that's it. But when he he does trust them to play, but you know, he played against Spurs last season 
in that must-win game after the Spurs Champions League game. But because of Paul and Lou's book, we knew that was kind of, you know, he was fresh. He was running around and gave a bit of atmosphere to the group and Pep was like, oh, maybe we need this. But there's there's games where he doesn't need that, you know. Yeah. There's games where he doesn't need him racing around and getting stuck in and maybe getting caught out of possession or giving the ball away. So Foden's still learning. So yeah, he's not, you know, it's still a bit of a risk to play Foden now. He doesn't see Bernardo Silva as the perfect man to play that role and he does still trust David Silva, but he does appreciate that, you know, his legs are going a bit. Yeah. Um, Harris Ahmed asks, does Pep rotate the players too much? There's no reason why Mares couldn't start against both Villa and Palace. Yeah, now... Obviously, at the end of last season, it was very consistent in terms of at least Bernardo Silva and, and Sterling playing in most of the games. They were very consistent and you kind of knew what you were going to get. But for years, you know, it's always been difficult to predict a Pep Guardiola 11 because he's always been rotating. And in two of the three seasons, obviously the first one, they had, they had their problems, we know about that. But the last two have been amazing and nobody was saying they rotate too much. But I mean, I'm buying into it a bit because I am thinking... Why? Why would you? Why would you take out? Why would you Riyad kill the Mahrez? momentum? Why would you take out Riyad Mahrez? Yeah, far away from the the tactical side of things. Going back to that four three three, which has had his problems this season. Why would you take out Mahrez, who's been playing so well? And it was obvious he was going to put Sterling back in. It was just obvious he was like kind of well, you've had your rest now, come back in. But if you look at it from a point of view of not a Pep Guardiola team, because we look at it, you know, we manage it. This is just how it works. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. This is how he does it. So fine. That's how I look at it anyway. But in any other team, would you play Raheem Sterling who hasn't been playing that well? And would you drop Riyad Mahrez or rotate Riyad Mahrez? You just wouldn't do it. And you do think that was a, it was a bit weird. It was a it was a bit weird to do that. Um, and you know, Bernardo's kind of looking different in those you know those different roles different you mentioned, either plays, the false yeah. nine or the deeper one against Leicester. You know, or in the engine room again, second second half against Sheffield United, using the ball in you know in more space, and then you put him back on the wing again, and then you know. Sterling was on the right for a bit and then they switched it. And it, I don't know, it was it was a weird one. So no, I don't think he rotates players too much because he's basically done that his whole time at City. No one's ever been complaining. But it was weird at the weekend, so I can see why the question's being asked. And finally, Greg O'Hara asks, has a reason been given as to why we didn't bolster the defence last summer knowing company was going? Yes, there has, and I've written about it. Uh, after Anfield, I did a piece, and the headline of the piece is why Man City's defence isn't fit for champions. Because it just basically, it's just a list of everything that happened last summer. And, you know, the company let them know, was it a week before the FA Cup final that he was going? So, you know, by that point, they'd already they'd already had a deal in place to sign Chilwell and then decided they weren't going to sign him. You know, that's how far along, you know, City's transfer plans are. You're not thinking June, July. We're so thinking, it was a massive thinking, spanner in the works. We're thinking February, March, April kind of thing. But uh, so it's a spanner in the works for company to be leaving because obviously at that point they were thinking, OK, we're going to get Harry Maguire. So, all right, fine. Um and they were going to sell Otamendi because Otamendi had told them, I can't remember when I did the story, but it was like March or something that he told them. And they were like, well, if you bring us a good offer, then you can go. So they were planning. They were going to have three centre-backs anyway. It was going to be Laporte, Maguire, and somebody new. And they were going, and to, use, and they were going to use Fernandinho yeah. if needed. Um, and then they didn't get Maguire. Kind of as I alluded to, they had their valuation of him. Leicester wanted more. They weren't going to pay it. United were. Harry Maguire was happy to go to United as well. He thought, actually, one of the one of the reasons I was told was, you know, he, he thinks he can be captain at Man United. And lo and behold, now he is. He's been captain, I'm, yeah. I mean, quite why you'd want to be captain of like, <laughs> a bit of a shambles or why would you just come in and not be a captain but in a really good team? I, I didn't get it at the time, I don't get it now. But fine, he made his choice, fine. But they didn't get Maguire. And then, yeah, they couldn't sell Otamendi. I think they had a look at some other centre-backs, but foreign quota thing. If they could have got rid of Otamendi, I think they would have gone and, sold, gone and signed a foreign player. So that's kind of the reason why, yeah. 
that's yeah, and like people just to go off on a bit of a tangent, people go, oh, why, why do you bother sign Cancelo? It was a waste of time. Yeah, but Danilo wanted to go as well, and they got good money for Danilo. Danilo wanted to go, so they had to sign a replacement. You know what are you going to do? Just not buy a right back. How about voices in the dressing room then with company? Because that's yeah. that's certainly been a miss. Yeah, it has. Um, and again, that article I wrote after the Newcastle game. Um, De Bruyne and Carl Walker have been the ones to kind of step up and be like, right, come on, lads. But, you know, De Bruyne is... De Bruyne's a bit like that anyway. Yeah, he is. But he's also... It's not really like... You know, company is like a proper... Oh, bloody hell, don't, don't piss him off. Is, is it not necessarily constructive from De Bruyne? Because he, well, seems, he seems quite... He's one of the angriest men I've possibly, ever seen. Possibly, but I think it's just demeanour. Like, you know, you've seen him in that Let Me Talk video. Yeah. It's like... I don't know. Because I... I don't. I admire De Bruyne more than anyone. I've got fantastic admiration for him. I love speaking to him in the mix zones afterwards because you can ask him a question, and if he thinks you're a dick, he'll tell you, or he'll at least make it obvious just in how he answers the question. Yeah. yeah, but I just think it's just a demeanor thing. I don't think you're listening. You're listening. Oh yeah, Kev obviously knows what he's talking about, but if it's company, you think bloody hell. You know, it's like the old Roy yeah. Keane thing. You know, it's like that that bloody Sky Studio on Sunday. You know, the the people in there you think if they're shouting. Because like, Patrice Everett can go, oh, I don't think you should do that, but you don't, you're not quite as scared of Patrice Everett <laughs> as you are Roy Keane and Graham Souness, you know. And Carragher, you know, it's a Gary Neville thing as well. You know, Gary Neville was vocal, but you're not, you're not going to listen to Gary Neville in the dressing room the same yeah. year as Roy Keane, that kind of thing. So De Bruyne, he knows what he's talking about, but just in terms of the voices. And Kyle Walker, yeah, kind of, I can see him being similar to Delph. I can see him being similar to Delph, to be fair. I think he's embraced that seniority as, it, as it's gone on. But what we can say is it's just not quite the same. Yeah, it's the basics of football. It's the basics uh, of football, yeah. I say. Uh, right, well, that's it for this week's Why Always Us. You've been listening to The Athletic City correspondent, Sam Lee. Thanks very much. And me, David Mooney. We'll be back next week. Don't forget, for ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code MANCITYPOD. 